if you don't take a risk in life, you don't get anywhere. And for me, it was kind of like, if you build it, they will come. What's up, guys? Welcome to the Invictus Mindset Podcast. Today's guest is a husband, a father, the owner of CrossFit Dynamics in New York. He's a USA Functional Fitness National Team coach and the founder of Underdog Athletics in Las Vegas, Mr. Justin Cutler. Welcome to the show, man. Thanks, brother. Great to be here, man. I'm really, uh, really excited to be here with you. You, as you mentioned, have had quite the year and... And a ton of recent success, man. Like you're, you're creating quite a bit of notoriety with like some of the OGs within the sport. You know, when you look at the Spielers, the Kalipas, the CJs, the, you know, OPEX guys from back in the day, like you're in that conversation now. People are talking about Justin Cutler and his ability to coach. Like, what does that kind of mean to you? Honestly, man, it's, it's, I'm, I'm honored. I'm flattered. And, and it's been kind of a a long road, you know, and I feel like I've kind of uh, skated under the surface for a while. I mean, I coached my first games athlete like 12 years ago. Uh, So I've been in the sport for a while, but I always felt like, you know, my wife and I, we really devoted our time uh, to our community and our, our box in New York. And, and I coached a lot of games teams and obviously in grid, you know, that was, that was kind of like, Uh, my big, my first like big visible, you know, thing that I did, but yeah, recently uh, it's just, it's amazing how it's happened organically and how, you know, coaching Carrie. And then I think Bethany and Danielle seeing it and then really kind of appreciating the process of what Carrie and I have in our relationship. And it's just kind of one thing's led to another. And it really is in the last year, like the, the, you know, it's like the snowball started down the mountain and now it's, you know, it's become pretty massive, but the guys like CJ and the guys like Ben and, and, you know, I would say that ilk of coach, we really have competed against each other for a long time. Like dynamics had game, you know, we were top five in the games and teams and 13 and 14 and 16. And so it's been going back a while that, that we've all kind of been there. You know, I just feel like now for some reason, uh, you know, I'm, I'm out in the spotlight a little bit and I'm appreciative of it. I'm extremely humble because I know it could be gone like that. So, yeah. you know, just really trying to have a positive effect as long as I can, you know, and, and really uh, help people and change people's lives. Yeah, for sure, man. And I mean, when, when you're a man of service and, you know, full of so much gratitude and humility, you can only fly under the radar for so long before, you know, your, your peers start to start to speak very highly of you. And I think that in, in inevitably is the greatest compliment, right? Not so much just the athlete's success and whatnot, because that's, you know, everybody is putting in so much work to try to, you know, reach the peak for a lot of these athletes. But more importantly, so many of your peers are speaking so highly of you. And then on a personal note, I mean, I speak to people all the time with regards to high performers and your energy and enthusiasm and also your responsiveness. I'm sure you're getting Slack messages, emails, texts, calls, and to respond to an Instagram DM from knuckleheads like me, you know, who, who crave connection with the mastermind that is Justin Kotler. I think that's a pretty cool thing that you're willing and you, and, and you're open to having cool conversations. You know, I think I learned a long time ago, one of the most important things to grow this sport is to give people access. And I really want for the athletes to flourish. I want the sport to flourish. And if I can play my small part and, and give people the access and, and kind of help them understand, you know, what it takes to coach a games athlete or what it takes to run an affiliate or what it takes to, you know, to help people in the CrossFit space and in the fitness space. Like, I feel like that's my duty. You know, I feel like that's my job. You know, I don't understand those that don't do that. You know, like it just, uh, in me inherently, I just feel like, what can I do to further the sport? Because it's only going to help my athletes, my peers, and those who are really looking to get into the sport, because let's be honest, it's still a fledgling sport, right? It's still, oh, yeah. a, ni- it's still a niche sport. Yeah. And for us to get where we want to go, you know, you've got to play your part. You've got to give people access. And so for me, like getting a DM from you, I feel like I have to play my part. And also like, it's funny, is it in this space, like I, I notice 
what people are doing and, and what things are helping to further along. And, and, you know, I listened to your podcast with Carrie and I thought it was great. So for me, it was like, yeah, dude, absolutely. I I'm, I'm excited to jump on. So yeah. Well, we're humbled and honored to have you on. And, Thanks. you know, as we kind of unpack your story, like what did your childhood kind of look like in the world of, of, of functional movement and activity and sport that eventually led to, you know, your, your current success within sport and fitness. As far back as I can remember, we were a sports family. My dad was a, was a really great athlete. My grandfather, my father's father is one of the best athletes that I've honestly, that, that I've ever known in my entire life. And he's a guy who was 90 years old and still kicking 40 year olds ass on the tennis court. You wow, know, like, that's so yeah. Cool. I mean, he was a, he was a varsity letterman in college and, and he played basketball and tennis. And I think from a very young age, we just played sports. I was always playing sports, sports and music. Those were the two big things for, for us as, as you know, for me as a kid. And, you know, as far back as I can remember just loving doing everything that, that had to do with sports and fitness and, you know, playing basketball, playing football, playing tennis, playing. I mean, I literally played everything, whether it was individual or organized sports. That's cool. Um, I see an irony with music because like we're such rhythmic creatures, you know, later on when we talk a little bit about mindset, like, you know, helping a lot of these athletes develop and get into the rhythm that's, you know, most optimally going to serve them, you know, in their capacities. Yeah. For me as a kid, it just came naturally. Those two things. It wasn't until I was about like 10 or 11 that I decided, okay, you know, I'm, I'm pretty good at basketball. I'm pretty good at golf. These are the things that, you know, I'll, I'll focus on a little bit more. Although I, I think my favorite sport to play was football, honestly, but yeah. So then throughout, you know, junior high and high school excelled at those sports and thought like, okay, I mean, I probably can do this in college. Let's see. And I was lucky enough to, to be able to go to the university of Pennsylvania, you know, which was, which was awesome. I played basketball my, my, my freshman year. And then I had had a pretty catastrophic knee injury in high school okay. that I had to come back from. And it was a, an injury that in high school, you know, I was as and most college basketball players, and you know this, you, you're a high level uh, athlete. It, you can kind of get away with like, you're, you're, you're already pretty, like you're pretty good, right? Like, you know, and comparatively to other people, but once you get to college, everybody's really good. Right. So for me, my, like I always experienced a lot of knee pain after my injury and it, and it was a scenario where I couldn't practice the way that I wanted to practice, especially being a left knee jumper and in, injuring my left knee. But when I got to college, the track workouts, the, co- you know, the constant uh, just beating that my knee took, I was always in the training room. And I was playing behind two guys that ended up going to the NBA. So wow. it, was, it was a scenario where I was like, you know what? I love the sport, but I'm not having as much fun. And I turned to golf and it was cool. I ended up being the, the captain of the golf team at the University of Pennsylvania, which was amazing. Great. And I had a phenomenal, you know, had a phenomenal time playing sports in college. And, and also, like I said, you know, with music, I was uh, really involved in, in music. I was in a, a school sponsored acapella group in college. Oh, cool. When I got out of college, it was like turn pro in golf, become a professional singer. And then I was a professional recording artist for 10 years. So prior oh, to this, really cool. yeah. So it's just like a, it's, it's an interesting, it's a very interesting life. Like I feel like it's almost a few lives, but yeah, for but sure. All- there, and there's so much to unpack there. Cause it's like the injury, you know, helps me gain context and understand, you know, how you have so much empathy for your athletes, how you understand that, you know, the difference between training and competing and how to integrate a little bit more high volume accessory work for one of your athletes like Bethany Shadburn, who's had such a back injury and, you know, dealt with a lot of injuries over the year. And you and I both know when you're trying to compete in a sport you love, but you can't compete at your maximum ability because of injury, it's not fun anymore. No. And once the fun and the joy get taken away, now you're demoralized in between the ears and it's just a downward spiral. And in every facet of your life too, it's not, not just on the court or on the competition floor, right? It affects everything that you do. I think that's what happens to a lot of people is, you know, that they, they compete at a high level. If, like you said, if, if you can't compete at your maximum potential, then it affects every facet of your life. Yeah. That's such a great observation too, especially, 
in a world where, you know, we look at professional athletes and we're like, well, that's their full-time job or that they're paid X, Y, and Z numerical value. We, we place these expectations on them, forgetting that at the root, they're humans first. Yep. You know, and I, I think you and I both know that like when you try to isolate one thing on its own, we find it attached to every single thing, you know, within our life. Yeah. And so, you know, one thing can affect many things. That's really cool that you have that experience personally, even though I'm sure it wasn't super fun in the moment, you know, going through some of the trials and tribulations. No, but you know what? I think what it did was it built character. Like my entire sophomore year in high school, I had to kind of retool my school schedule because I spent six months, five days a week doing half days of school and then doing half days of rehab, like learning how to, learning how to walk again, learning how to jump again, learning how to do all those things at 15 years old. I think obviously it's not something that I would ever want from my children, but it, it, it does build character Mm -hmm. and it, and it does enable you to, to dig deep and understand what you can come back from. So Mm -hmm. for me, that was, it was traumatic, but at the same time being able to get through it, I think, you know, was, was something that I'll always look back on and and be proud of. Yeah, for sure. What is it about basketball guys? And I'm always leaning into golf. You're looking at Michael Jordan, Steph Curry, everybody knows the famous Charles Barkley swing. Oh yeah. (laughs) And then you have to obviously unpack a little bit of of the mental component of golf too. And, you know, obviously the nips or or the yips, I think they call it the, the yips and you know, obviously the technicality associated with it. What was that transition kind of like as you kind of leaned a little bit more into golf that was a little bit nicer to your body? I think one thing that I really loved about golf was just having that individualized pressure and, you know, it's all on you to be able to perform. Right. And I did a lot, actually, I did a lot of uh, work with a sports psychologist for golf back uh, when I was in college and, you know, which I think was invaluable, obviously for stuff that I do now, but yeah, I, you know, the, the team aspect is great. And obviously I love doing that in basketball, but being able to transform into a sport where it's entirely on you, right. Every, everything that you do is entirely on you. And I, I liked that. I liked it feeling that pressure. You know, I liked having to rise to the occasion. I don't, I don't know that everybody feels that way, but it was something that I felt natural with and comfortable with. And I, I think that that had a lot to do with my comfort being on stage and being a performer, yeah. right? I, I think you can see that there's a correlation there, that being able to excel in an individual sport and then also, you know, being a, a recording artist, having to be, on, you know, being on stage and performing at big venues and in front of people like I, I, there's there's a lot there I think that correlates yeah and there, there's there's definitely an art to how articulate you are now too and speaking in front of bigger groups and understanding travel schedules and more importantly man when I watched you at the West Coast Classic I feel like within the fitness space as a coach you have to always be up right and sometimes that can create a subtle pressure or you know you rely a reliance on caffeine but it's like, you seem to do it so, I mean, both of them, <laughs> right? both the, the cold brew keeps us above ground, oh, man. man. <laughs> Especially with two young kids, man. For I'm sure. sure. And yeah. it's like, you always find a way to be up and be enthusiastic. Did, did that come from, you know, the, your time being a recording artist or how did you develop this enthusiasm and passion for life? You just seem like you're having so much fun, you know, as we're standing, you know, at the finish line cheering on you know, our athletes from our respective teams, it's like, we're pacing, we're excited, we're yelling, we're cheering, there's tears, there's laughter, there's everything in between. And I mean, that's a hell of a day with the peaks and valleys of emotions. <laughs> yeah. You know, but when, I, when you think about it, though, like, how cool is it that we get to do what we do? Yeah, right? like, there are so few people in the world who get to experience what we do. And I, to me, it's it's a labor of love, right? It's not it's not work, you know, it's, I mean, I get to coach some of the best athletes in the world in the fitness space. Like there's very few people that get to say that. And I felt the same way, like going back years when I was able to do grid, like there were eight grid coaches, like in the world. Right. And it wasn't a huge sport, but it was still like a scenario where we're just luck. We're lucky to do this. Right. So every day when I'm there, I try to remind myself, right. Like 
you know, you're extremely lucky that you get to do this. You're fortunate that you have these athletes be able to put their trust in you Mm -hmm. and you have to bring your best, right? Like, so for me, it's a matter of no matter what's going on inside, because sometimes, listen, sometimes there's, there's going to be doubt and you're, you know, you're going to be anxious and you're going to be nervous and, but you've got to make sure that you portray strength for your athletes because they're in the thick of it. And they need to look to you and understand that like you believe in them or, and also that you're empathetic when things aren't going well and that you love them and that you understand that at the end of the day, your job as a coach is to, is to give them anything and everything that they need to be able to succeed. Mm -hmm. So for me on those game days, like I'm trying to make sure that I am as motivating as possible and I, that's just the only way I know how to be, you know, I think everybody has their own process and that, that just happens to be mine. Right. That's very cool. Were there any things that stood out to you when you were working with a sports psychologist? Cause just listening to you, it sounds like a lot of your headspace is encompassed by gratitude. It's encompassed by, uh, you know, this willingness to serve, but also I'm really seeing just, just through your delivery you have such a, a high level of emotional intelligence. <laughs> and I think I've heard you say it before where it's like Danielle Brandon, Carrie Pierce, and Bethany Shadburn. They're all separate individuals. Yes. Danielle, you know, is a little bit more lively. Yes. Carrie and Bethany are a little bit more calculated with a routine and with, you know, a little bit more schedule and, and habits. What is that like, right? Like your communication with each one of them is different. And then I've been very fortunate to spend some time with Tola and he's a little bit more even keel, pretty calm, relatively chill dude. And then from what I've seen from Matt DeLugos, another athlete that you coach, like, you know, he can maybe fall in the middle of all those things. And he's this like superstar with regards to the rowing machine and a lot of the monostructural pieces. And it's like, you clearly have emotional intelligence and in like knowing your athlete, reading their body language. How do you kind of calculate like when to push and when to pull back with some of these guys? I think that that is, that's huge for a coach to understand the differences between the athletes, because you can't treat everybody the same, Mm -hmm. right? Like there's no way that I can treat Danielle the same way that I treat Carrie, right? Carrie is the most habitual and I would say grounded athlete that I've ever coached, right? There's, there's, there's literally no highs and lows. You look at Carrie at the end of a workout and you sometimes, you know, most of the time you don't know whether that workout went well or whether it went terribly. Yeah, she's um, so smiley at the uh, end. And I mean, it makes sense after four national championships at the university of Michigan and then her being, you know, cemented as, you know, the best American female CrossFit athlete in history, like, right. Like, her resume kind of speaks for itself. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But I think a lot of that comes with the initial time that you spend with those athletes. Like uh, for me, I know when I, when I start with an athlete, like I really want to understand the, the ins and outs of the athlete, like what makes them tick, right? Yep. It's important for me without being disrespectful to understand their background. What did they, you know, what, what does their background look like? Uh, you know, how did they grow up? Uh, what type of support system did they have when they were athletes before? What type of coaches did they have? Where did they flourish? In what type of environment did they flourish? Are they the type of athlete that can handle tough love or are they the type of athlete that needs more compassion? Like, you have to understand those things. And all of my athletes are a little bit different. And I think it's a responsibility for a coach. And the only way to gain trust is to really understand how to treat your athletes. So for me, with the athletes that I coach now, I think that was a big building block was really understanding, you know, what they need from me, uh, not just on a programming level, but on an emotional level and on a mindset level. And so I, I think that stems back from being in sports, right? And, and, and having different coaches and, and having those coaches have different philosophies and seeing what worked and seeing what didn't. Honestly, being in a high pressure home where like my dad was a tough love guy and sometimes it worked and sometimes it didn't. 
having some of those experiences as an athlete and then being able to refine them as a coach has been, has been huge for my growth and also my relationships with my athletes. That's very cool, man. And so transitioning from your collegiate careers, you were, you know, a basketball player transitioned to golf and then later a recording artist for 10 years. How did you find your way into the world of functional fitness and then later opening CrossFit Dynamics? And, you know, in some ways, it's not just like, hey, I found my way into functional fitness. It's also like this business world, which is a whole other animal and how to run an affiliate and how to manage people and how to run a budget and payroll and insurance policies and liability. Like, how did you find your way into kind of that world? It's an interesting story. I, I loved music. I always felt like I was put on earth to sing, you know, and share that with people. And, and uh, it was something that, that from a very early age, I knew that I could do well. And after college, I, I got in a band in Philadelphia and, and we were making music and it was, it was just amazing. And I loved every second of it. And then I moved to New York and I signed a, a deal with a management company and a record deal. And, and all these things were going extremely well. But the music industry, as I'm sure you know, you know, and most people will tell you, is it's it's a it's an emotional roller coaster ride. So for me, it was a point where there were so many highs, but there were also an unbelievable amount of lows, and it got to the point where I just didn't really like the person that I was becoming. You know, I was becoming that bitter and tortured artist that you hear about, right? Like I was in my early 30s. Half the time I was, I was flying and, and touring and doing this and doing that. And then half the time I was like, what's next? You know, like, and, and so for me, it was, it wasn't that I, that I didn't love music anymore. It was that I just didn't want to deal with the, the highs and lows of the music industry anymore. Mm-hmm. And that coupled with at 17 years old, I was diagnosed with ulcerative colitis, which is. For if people don't know, you know, it's very similar to Crohn's disease. And it's, it's uh, unfortunately, it's just one of those things that, that it's an autoimmune thing that, that you never, you know, you don't know you're going to get it. You know, it's not, it, it, it wasn't genetic. None of my, no one else in my family had it. I was extremely healthy. And all of a sudden, one day I went to the doctor and they were like, you have ulcerative colitis. And as I got a little bit older, and especially with the living kind of like that, that hard life as a, as a performer, as a recording artist, I wasn't feeling very good physically. I had always trained and worked out and I looked good, you know, like aesthetically, I looked good, but I didn't feel good. And I got sick in 2007. I got really sick and I ended up in the hospital for about 10 days. I lost about 60 pounds in three weeks. Whoa. And checked into the hospital at 121 pounds, 5'11", 121 pounds. And it was kind of an epiphany in the hospital, being by myself for about 10 days. Uh, It was over Christmas time. Mm. And I knew like I had to make a change in my life. And when I was building myself back up, one of my best friends, who's an actor uh, in New York and, and and a personal trainer, and the two of us, he was like, dude, you just start working out with me. And we started working out together and we started doing pretty much all functional fitness. Like we were, we were following Jim Jones at the time, which, which uh, you know, was like uh, Mark Twight and those guys, a lot of 300 guys had, had trained. We were doing dot-com programming. We were doing anything and everything we could do functional fitness, right? Uh, which at the time was pretty underground still. You know, we're doing it and we're at a global gym. People are looking at us like we're crazy. But at the same time, what happened was uh, we started to get some attention, right? And and so we decided we were going to start to coach a class. And the only time that they would allow us to do it was on Thursday nights at midnight. So it was called Midnight Madness. And it was essentially like we developed a cult following. Like we had all all these people that wanted to come and, and, and suffer with us. And before you knew it, it kind of had taken over. You know, long story short, within the next two years, I opened up my own little studio and, and uh, had a lot of private clients, but then started to, to develop some athletes. And, you know, the, the entrepreneurial part just kind of happened. It was like one of those things where I, you take a risk, right? Like if you don't take a risk in life, you don't get anywhere. And for me, it was kind of like, if you build it, they will come, right? Like yeah. it's kind of, that's kind of how I felt about it. And I, I kind of learned along the way and made a lot of mistakes and, but uh, 
my best friend in the world is, you know, as a, as a, uh, from, from the time I was a kindergarten, he was an accountant and he helped me with a lot of the finances. Oh, cool. And, you know, my dad was a, was a tax attorney, so he was able to help me with some stuff, but, but just being able to, uh, to start small and make mistakes, but not have them be catastrophic mistakes. It's and so cool, man, like first yeah, of all, field, cool. field of dreams is a great movie. If yes. Yeah. And then also, you know, most successful entrepreneurs, they understand their blind spots. And that's great that you were like, you know what? I'm not a finance guy. I'm not an accountant, but I could rely on people that, yeah. you know, care about me, believe in what I'm doing and, you know, can help me get my feet underneath me as I pursue this passionate endeavor. And so that's, that's very cool that you had the wherewithal and the humility to do that because none of us have the answers in all of the arenas. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I think for me, it was like now, you know, just that idea of paying it forward because there were so many people that helped me. You know, at the beginning, it was a scenario where, okay, let's build it small. And before you knew it, things had just taken off. And uh, we went from like a 750 square, you know, square foot space to within a year moving to a 3,700 foot, you know, square foot space uh, in a store in New York. And it, and it just became, it became our, our passion, our livelihood, you know, and, and at that time I was dating my wife and she was a huge part of, of the community. And, you know, one thing led to another. And before you knew it, you know, we were, we were CrossFit dynamics and, and uh, you know, we had this amazing community and I, I loved that We had a community gym, but it was also my passion to build a competitor's gym. And we were able to balance that well. And, you know, within a couple of years, we had this amazing community. We were, we had teams that were competing at the games. You know, uh, I, I started coaching athletes at the games and it was, it was just a really, it was just a really awesome situation. Like I think about how long it's been since then and mm -hmm. how, how much has happened, you know, just personally, like getting married, having children, the whole nine, but it's, it's been an amazing ride, like just an unbelievable ride. You made one comment in there that really stood out to me, which was, you had this amazing community, but you also wanted a competitor's gym. And I've seen it a lot across the United States where it's either or, yeah. where like some gyms, it becomes like, oh, it's all about the athletes. And then the, the community suffers. And then other gyms, it's like, we don't actually don't want athletes. It's all about the community. And I think the ability to do both is such an art. And at the end of the day, it comes down to what, what we like to describe as TLC, teams, leadership, and culture. Yeah. And if you can establish a culture where they both, uh, you know, kind of have harmony with one another, I think that is like the magic within the affiliate model. And I think what's really, you know, obviously you, you know, being an Invictus it, it, again is an incredible model for, for just that. And I, I think, you know, at Dynamics, we were able to marry those two things really well. And I think one of the big things that was important was, you know, that the community wants to really feel like you know, that the athletes are part of the community, right? Mm -hmm. They're not separate from the community. Mm -hmm. And we were able to do that. And it was amazing to see each year, you know, you guys had the sea of green, we had the sea of blue. So it was oh, like that's cool. every year at, at the Northeast regionals or at the East regionals, like you would see it grow. And, yeah. and, you know, it was, it was just so cool, you know, and I, I, it's extremely nostalgic now to think back and yeah, I mean, you're, about you're, those days. I'm getting but chills awesome. thinking yeah. about it. Cause I think Bethany was talking about like, at the games last year when they're doing the row and some of those things without like a crowd or without an audience. And I think you and I could both feel the energy and enthusiasm there, you know, at the Orleans in Vegas at the West coast classic, when, you know, these athletes are going against each other right down to the finish line. And you've got the sea of green, the sea of blue, all the coaches jumping up and down, we're screaming, we're yelling, we're cheering. It's like, I just reflect back specifically to when, you know, Danny Spiegel and Daniel Brandon were going awesome. head to head on those D ball cleans awesome. and man, it just came right down to like that photo finish and just the energy, the enthusiasm was just so great for the sport, for the spectators, for the athletes. Like it just reminded us in that brief moment of how much we missed connection and having oh. spectators and community. Yeah, it, it, it is. And, and, you know, I think we're, we're on our way back and it's so exciting to see, because I mean, I was a part of this, you know, stage one and stage two last year and, and, you know, such a different feel like, and, and being at the games with Carrie, 
which was obviously amazing in the sense that I was, I was able to be in the bubble with, you know, 10 athletes, 10 coaches, and, and we bonded and it was awesome. But being at those events, uh, in, you know, at the ranch and, and then, you know, at the facility that they use there and not feeling that energy of the fans, it's just different. And, and obviously it was an amazing experience and carry podiumed and we, and we really were able to check off some of our goals, but n- not being able to share that with the fans, you know, I, I think is, is something that, you know, you always look back and be like, man, I wish we were able to have that experience with, you know, 10,000, 12,000, you know, screaming in the Coliseum, right? Like, and, and the fact that we're back to that now and the fact that we're going to be able to be there in a month and, and have, the energy of people that just truly love the sport and love the athletes, you know, there's just nothing like that. Yeah, for sure. I think Ben Bergeron was famous for saying when Katrin won the games a few years ago, she podiums, she comes down, she gives him a big hug and she kind of looked at him and was like, what's training going to look like now? Or like, what's next? She wasn't able to like be in that moment. Yeah. And I think he described that as like a great learning point and, what was that like for you and Carrie when she finished on the podium? It was the first American on the podium in, in quite some time. Yeah. You guys got to share that experience, but we're in the middle of a pandemic. What's yeah. mindset looking like? She's obviously been in the game for a while. Is she able to celebrate and kind of be in that moment? Is she looking forward? Like, what does that look like for you guys? Well, I'll, t- I'll, t- I'll give you really the most special moment to me. She crossed the finish line in Atalanta. She had a superhuman performance, you know, one of the greatest perform. I think one of the greatest individual performances in the history of the games to be able to catapult herself from fifth to third. Oh yeah. Uh, to cement her legacy as to this point, the the fittest American female. And she crossed the finish line. And she didn't know. I think you know. She looked at me and she said, "Did we do it?" Right. And I'm like getting choked up thinking about it. It's like, you know, she said, "Did we do it?" And I looked at her and I said, yeah, you did it. And she collapsed in my arms, like just cried, like sobbed, you know, and I never ever seen her like that, you know, and it was just the culmination of years and years of dedication and sacrifice, right? And, and all those things that she was, was, that she had put into it, the blood, sweat, the tears, they had all come together for her. And, you know, I said to her when that was over, obviously I told her how much I loved her and how proud I was of her, but I told her now you need, you need to just take as much time as you, as you need, right? Like enjoy it. Don't think about training. Don't think about next year, you know? And, and you'll let me know when you're ready, right? And about a month later, right? I mean, obviously I had seen her and we'd gone out to dinner and we'd, but we didn't talk about training. We didn't talk about the games. We didn't talk about what was coming up. You know, I wanted her to be able to really immerse herself in what she had done and also to just have the downtime physically, mentally, and emotionally to be able to decide what she wanted to do moving forward. Carrie's at a point in her career, she's, you know, she'll be 32 years old next year, uh, next, next week. You know, she's, she's been in the sport a long time. This will be her seventh games that she's going to. So it was a scenario where I wanted her to be able to clear her head and, and really come to an educated decision as to what she wanted to do. And we met a month after and she said, listen, I don't know. You know, I don't really know if I want to compete anymore. And if I do, I want it to be fun. You know, I don't want to put pressure on myself. I feel like we've gotten to the point now where I've accomplished the stuff that I've wanted to accomplish. And, you know, I just don't know now if I have the fire. And I said to her, that's totally cool. You know, whatever you decide, I love you and I'm going to support you. I think now is a point where, you know, if you come to the gym and you decide, hey, like I'm starting to get that fire back. Like I want to compete. Great. If you come back and you're like, you know what? I just want to come in and train for life and have fun. And, and that's it. Great. And it was a couple of months later, you know, and Bethany and Danielle had, had come here and Tola and Matt, you know, had come here and she, I could kind of see the fire coming back, you know, like, and she came up to me one day and she was like, okay, like I, I, I want to compete this year. 
Like I'm, I'm ready to go. And I'll be honest, like she's fitter and I think having more fun than she's ever had, which is so fun, which is so cool to see. And, you know, I don't know what next year will bring for her, but I know that right now, like the environment that we've been able to create here, like she's just having a freaking blast training and she loves training with the girls and she loves having the athlete family that we've created in Vegas. And so it was a scenario where I think it was so important to give her that time to just figure out, you know, where she wanted to be. And I mean, but listen, man, in, in, she's an athlete, right? Like in, in her core, in her soul, she's a competitor and it's, it's tough to, it's tough to take that out of somebody, you know, or it's it's tough for, for, for them to eventually grow out of that. And I think she just wasn't ready to hang it up, you know? So Mm -hmm. it was cool, but she needed to figure that out for herself without any pressure from me or anyone else around her. And you know, it seems to me like she was able to come to that decision and she's having like the most fun she's ever had as a competitor in the sport. That's very cool that you were yeah. able to kind of take a step, step back, create a safe space for her and allow her to kind of come to that conclusion on her own through reflection yeah. and time and energy and kind of feeling, you know, the vibe of the gym with training partners and whatnot, which is really cool. And I, I think it also goes to show like, a lot of people are like, what's the magic at Invictus? What's the magic at CrossFit New England? What was the magic back in the day at, you know, Valley CrossFit with the Valley Girls and NorCal CrossFit with Jason Kalipa and now you guys with, with Underdogs Athletics? It, 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 there's such a common theme that I see is just it's training environment. It's the passion, the enthusiasm, the people that are there day in and day out. Because, I mean, we're all human at the yeah. end of the day, like, I may not bring the fire every single day and you may bring the fire better. So I'm going to rely on your energy that day. And then there's going to be vice versa days where I'm going to bring the energy and you're going to feed off of that. And it just kind of goes back. We see this in so many different fields, which is we're just the average of the five people we spend the most time with. Yeah. You know, I love that. I, and, and uh, there's another one. I don't know who said it, but it's just like, you're only as good as your training partners. Yeah. So like I, you're exactly right. There's no way to recreate the atmosphere and the environment that we're creating here that, that you guys have there, that some of these, you know, obviously these other, you know, athlete environments and camps have had in the past. It's just, there are outliers. There's always going to be outliers, right? There's always going to be a couple that can train by themselves and, and still succeed at a really high level. But, you know, I, I look at, at what we're doing and I look at, you know, what, some of these athletes uh, are doing around the country, being with each other and being able to level up every single day. It's just incredible to to be able to create those environments for for athletes and then watch them flourish. To to be able to help create the atmosphere and and to play my part in that you know, I mean, really, man, I just like, I'm at the point where I, I just don't want to screw it up. You know, like, I just want to like give them the, the, the tools and kind of the parameters to be able to succeed and then just watch them flourish. You know, like that's, that's really what I feel like my job is. You know, I always say like, I'm a project manager, yeah. you know, like I'm the guy who kind of puts everything together to enable this, this environment and atmosphere to be able to flourish. And, and then I just, you know, I just kind of, when you need me, I'm here, right? Like, you know, so, but it's awesome. Yeah, I love it, man. Yeah. How did, how did all this kind of come to be? You're obviously in New York. Yeah. With the global pandemic. Yeah. And then, you know, you're having this, this conversation with your community, your coaches, your athletes, and, and obviously your family. That's a big shift going from New York to Las Vegas. Big change in climate, as we kind of discussed briefly in our pre-interview. Yeah. So how, how did that all kind of come to be? And how did you find your way in Vegas? You know, long story short, right, the pandemic happened and my son was born in the same week, you know, middle March last, last year, the pandemic hit, we had our son born, our business was shut down on on the same week. And, you know, a month went by, two months went by, and it was a scenario where my wife and I looked at each other and we were like, listen, you know, we, we live in one of the most expensive cities in the world. We're not going to be able to live the way that we are accustomed to living if this continues much longer. What are we going to do that's the best for our family uh, without burning through our savings, you know, without, without putting ourselves in a really uncomfortable situation for a long time? How are we going to save our community? Uh, what are the things that we're going to be able to do? And, and we sat down and, 
And really, we figured out you know, how to streamline costs at the gym, but how do we streamline the costs for, for us personally? You know, my, I was, there was an athlete I was coaching at the time and, and one of my good friends over the years, his name's Ryan Elrod. Uh, he lives in, lives in Vegas, phenomenal athlete for the brawlers and, and obviously a great, now a great master's athlete. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, Ryan, I was talking to Ryan. He was like, yeah, man, move to Vegas, you know, and, and, you know, cost of living is low. Like the weather is great. We love it out here. As a joke, he kind of said that. And I looked at my wife and I was like, why not? You know, we have a, we have an amazing community here, but we, but we have, we have things in place and systems in place for it to succeed with a GM and and a, and a head coach. We've streamlined costs. If we can cut our cost of living 40, 50%, we're going to be able to save the community and also put our family in a much better situation. I came out here on a whim last June. I looked at houses. I looked at communities. I came back to my wife and I was like, I, th- I think it's great. I think we can do it. You know, Vegas is not just the strip. There are some beautiful communities. There's Summerlin, there's Henderson. There's, you know, we, we found this amazing house for, you know, two thirds of the cost of, of what we had in, in New York for so much more space. And, you know, the kids will be able to be outside and all this stuff. And then the next big piece was talking to Carrie. And I sat Carrie down and said, this is what we're thinking of doing. And within 24 hours, she was like, I'm coming with you. And she decided to move out with us to Vegas. And this was obviously before the games, you know, and and so that was a big move for her. And I feel like she's flourished here and it's been amazing, dude. It's been one, one thing after the next, but like, you know, we came out here, we were able to, you know, we didn't have a place to train. So you know, we went to CrossFit Culmination and they've been unbelievably accommodating, you know, like they've been like, yes, you know, you guys can train here and, and, you know, you can, you guys can do your thing. And, and so we've, we've, you know, been able to, to work it out with them, you know, during open gym time without really disturbing the classes. And, you know, they've got a great community there and, you know, one thing led to another and, and we were able to go and, and do stage one of the games with Danielle and, uh, and, and Bethany in Sacramento, and they saw my relationship with Carrie, and they were like, "Listen, you know, we we love your relationship. We want to come and help Carrie train for stage two of the games." Oh, that's so cool. they came to Vegas for a couple of weeks, and then after that, you know, individually, I talked to them, and they both were interested in in me coaching them. And you know, I had I was already coaching Tola and Matt remotely. And when Danielle and, and Bethany decided they wanted to move to Vegas and then Matt and Tola decided they want to move to Vegas. And then we have Nicholas from Argentina who decided he want to come here. And before you knew it, we had a, we had an athlete camp, you know? Cool. And then I was like, you know, I had always thought of, you know, releasing an online program. It was just something that, you know, I, I was always more interested in the one-on-one being in person. And I always love that feel, but I, you know, with the pandemic and being able to, you know, with people, you know, really utilizing home gyms and kind of a different dynamic that we have now, I was like, let's see, you know, let's try. I feel like I have something to say and I'm curious if people want, you know, are, would be receptive to it. And honestly, man, it's been amazing. You know, we, we just released our second cycle of underdogs competitor programming. It's going unbelievably well. We have this amazing, you know, uh, Facebook community, private Facebook community we've created. And, and obviously we've, we've got a lot, a lot of visibility with the athletes and the athletes are doing well. So it's, it's really all just kind of come together in this organically in this really short period of time. And like we said, right, like if you build it, they will come and it's, it's really happened that way. And, you know, I feel like we're putting good things out into the world and, and the world is, is kind of giving us back some good stuff, you know? And, I like and that. I I'm heard ha- something cool yesterday. It was like, uh, what you seek is seeking you. Mm. And that, that, that kind of sums up the way you're kind of describing it. And so from, from the outside looking, the way you're describing it, it sounds like seamless. It sounds, you know, like fireworks and everything, but obviously in between the cracks, there were uncomfortable conversations uh, risks, yeah. fears, 
you know, I'm sure that like anytime you make a big leap and you're the business owner of a facility that's in New York, you're going to have the perception of like, wait, are you picking the athletes over us? Right. You know, and there, there's obviously challenges and perceptions, whether they're true or not true, people are going to think whatever they want to think, especially as you gain traction and notoriety individually and with athletes. How have you kind of managed some of those stresses and anxieties like personally and how has your wife and some of the people within your close knit circle kind of help keep you keep you level headed when it's easy to like try to jump in with the, the keyboard keyboard warriors or the people that are, you know, just wanting to spread a little bit of hate. First of all, my wife, you know, she's the rock, honestly, like I'm I'm the dreamer. And she's the one who really keeps us grounded. Like, cause you know, there'll be some things I come up with and she'll look at me and just be like, okay, that's like for another time. We need to focus <laughs> on this stuff. You know, one of the biggest things that we did at the beginning was when we thought about moving was really having that candid discussion with our community in New York so that they understood like, we're not abandoning you. We're doing this so that we can have a community. If we don't make these changes, we're going to go out of business. That's just the way it is, right? Mm-hmm. We, we've lost 50% of membership. We've lost 50% of revenue. There's no way to continue with the status quo. There are major changes that have to happen. And as a family, for us to be able to survive as a family, this is what we have to do. And for us to save our community, this is what we have to do. Mm-hmm. And honestly, man, I, I can't tell you there was like so little negative feedback. It oh, was cool. incredible. People were so understanding. And then when we got to Vegas, uh, we had a lot of brainstorming sessions. We had a lot of like, what are we going to do, right? Like, what can we do? What can we do that makes the most sense you know, like you say, we're in a service industry. How do we help people? But also what can we do to help our family? And and so a lot of those decisions were made simply through like, basically like my wife and I sitting down and having these really intense discussions, you know, and everything was, all these decisions were made together. You know, she's so unbelievably supportive and, 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 uh, you know, I'm, I'm really happy that people have gotten a chance to, to see her too. Like CrossFit came out with this really amazing video during quarterfinals of, of her like judging with our son on her back. You uh, know what I mean? Uh, you know, that's really what it is. It's just this big family affair. Like everything we do, we, need to, we do together. Like when I go to coach the athletes, usually our four-year-old and our, and our 15-month-old are with us at the gym and they're running around and, you know, they're just a part of it. And we don't know any other way to do it. So like you said, there were, there were a lot of those conversations that, you know, and a lot of things that we were like, we just don't know how this is going to turn out. But I think if we have the best intentions in mind, you know, I think people will understand that and they'll see that. And, uh, you know, I think our, our, our motivation and our motives have all been positive. And, you know, that's really all you can do, right? Like at the end of the day, you know, I just, I just feel like we're, we're good people and we're, we want to help people and, and we want the people that we're involved with to, to, to flourish and to have good things happen to them also. And, you know, at the end of the day, things have been going well so that, you know, I'm just happy that, you know, everything so far has, has been going well. Absolutely, man. There's so much synergy between Invictus and what you guys are doing. I mean, CJ's got his kids coming in and right. you know, helping, helping mimic and imitate and play. And, you know, he's got his mom and dad helping us with, you know, food prep and conversations and trying to organize logistics around different things. And it's so, it's so very cool to have this family dynamic. And, you know, my next question is around the name that you decided to select, Underdog Athletics. Yeah. What, what I think is so cool is just the whole walk-on mentality, right? You look at Rudy, you know, yeah. from, from back in the day, and there, there's just this, this inevitable chip on the shoulder. Right. I loved watching Baker Mayfield when he was getting drafted, when he re- wore the walk-on shirt. Right. And, I mean, there, there, there's just such a mindset component with that. How did you come to, to that name? And what does that name kind of mean to you? Yeah, I think it's exactly what you said. It's, it's the mentality of the underdog, right? It's like maybe you weren't necessarily given the greatest gifts, right? 
physically. Unless mentally. you're Tola, of course. Well, yeah, right. <laughs> but, but, but just having that chip on your shoulder every day that, that you come to the gym. And honestly, a lot of it stemmed from Carrie, to be honest with you. I, I felt like for years that Carrie was always the underdog, that nobody looked at her like and talked about her in the ilk of the athletes that they should have been. You know, and it always honestly, bro, pissed me off. Like I was like, she deserves the respect. And, and when I thought about that and I thought about like who we have, um, you know, as athletes and, and, and my, and my background and our background and, and, you know, I just, I just felt like it was, it kind of spoke to our mentality and who we were, you know, and who we are. And I love the idea of, that waking up every day and, and you're, you know, you're in your home gym and, and it's 110 degrees outside and there's no AC, but you're getting the work done, right? Like that's what you have to do, whether it's for competition, whether it's for life, like whatever it is, you know, and, and, uh, so, we, you know, work, so we, we work a lot with the SEAL community out here and they, yeah. they love to say, pay the man, pay the man. There you go. And I, I say that like our, our crew, like our, our, you know, our athlete family is called the dog pound. And I just, you know, I like, it's just one of those things, you know, like there's, it's, there's nothing sexy about it. You know, it's just, if you put in that work, you know, every single day, then, you know, good things are going to come to you and, and, mm-hmm. and it'll pay off. And, and, you know, so that's, that's kind of the mentality of it. That's great, man. When it comes down to the work, you are a master programmer. I mean, I've heard great things from so many different people. Carrie spoke incredibly highly of you. You know, where, where do you develop this knowledge and understanding of energy systems and program design and understand, you know, how to rehab somebody like Bethany coming back from a back injury, you know, how to help people that are so talented, like the Tolas and the Daniel Brandons. And then also like, I saw that Bethany's dating a strength and conditioning coach from the Lakers. Yeah. Randy. Yeah. And, it, and it's like, I'm checking out his stuff on social media and whatnot. That, that has to be a great resource oh. whose brain you can pick as well, especially in the yeah. world of, of injury prevention and rotation yeah. and anti-rotation and things yeah. to, you know, really gap fill because CrossFit seems to be so linear Yeah, and, 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 you know, incorporating some of these things, you know, that are traditionally unorthodox really. Yeah. You know, what's funny is that my, my love of strength and conditioning started in high school when uh, I was lucky enough as a, as a, like a high level high school athlete, uh, there was a group of us that were able to train under the tutelage of uh, Bill Ferran, who was, who's a legendary strength coach, is a hall of fame strength coach for the Miami Heat. And he okay. was the Miami Heat strength coach. He's, he's been there. Now his son is the strength coach. But he was the, the strength coach for the Heat for not 30 years. But right when I they, mean, Alonzo Mourning seemed like he did okay in the weight room. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, you know, so I was able to learn a lot about Olympic weightlifting, a lot about, you know, squat cycles, a lot about deadlifting, a lot about nutrition, a lot about those things back in high school, and even more so than in college. Because to be honest with you, I, you know, our college strength and conditioning program at the University of Pennsylvania back in the 90s was not, it's not the greatest for the basketball team, honestly. Like that was kind of before the, th- this time, you know, where mm-hmm. I think there's been a premium put on it, right? It was like if you weren't a football player, it was kind of like get out of the gym. And then really like uh, I, I think I will have to say that uh, the, the guy that I started to train with that I talked about back in 2007 – uh, his name is Steve Service, and he's an absolutely unbelievable coach, strength and conditioning coach. And he's an, another mentor of mine and a guy who I, who I taught that Midnight Madness class with, really understanding energy systems and, and, and trial and error programming, like seeing what I, mean, I think of like stuff that, that we programmed, you know, 15 years ago. And it's like, oh my God, that, that should be criminal. Um, but like, you know, it's, it's, programming for me is an ever evolving process, right? And not, and one thing that works for one person may not work for another and understanding that and being humble and understanding you don't know everything. In fact, you know, like uh, just a little bit, 
you know, being able to go do my powerlifting certification with, with Louis Simmons at Westside Barbell, like that was freaking amazing. You know, that's 12 years ago, like being in those walls and, and, and seeing some of the things that, that, that he's done and being able to work with Mike Bergner and being able to do, you know, like there's, there's been invaluable people who are much smarter than I am, who I've been able to, to glean a little bit off of over the years. And, and then, you know, just experience, like having, having the experience of coaching teams, having the experience of coaching individuals, being in the, in the fire on game days, all of those things, I think, you know, they shape you and they mold you as a, as a coach, as a programmer, as a person. And it, you know, it's, it's enabled me to, I think, you know, get to the point where now we've been able to create successful programs for people and have those, those programs, you know, be diverse and individual. And it's cool to see, because I, I guess when I kind of step away from it, you know, and kind of take a look at it, like seeing the, the progression and the, and the maturation process of, of being a coach and being a programmer, it's like a, it is interesting. It's kind of amazing to see where it's come from and where people like CJ and Ben and myself, like where we're at now with it. You know, it's really cool, man. Like it's, yeah, it's really, really cool. Yeah. It's, it's just awesome to even be mentioned with those guys and, and to be able to see the success that, that my athletes are having. It is extremely humbling. Like it's, it's amazing to see. That's very cool. Do you, do you sit down and kind of write out the, the individual program design? Do you have like a, a tracking system that you use? I, I know a lot of people like true coach. Some people stick with old school Google spreadsheets. And then yeah. also how do you create buy-in from the client? Like if they're, are they updating their spreadsheets? Are you just taking a picture of a whiteboard and you're inputting the data yourself? I know you're a data guy. I'm a data so, guy. You know, how, how do you kind of play with all of that and then individualize the strength and accessory work, but then ensure that everybody comes together for the competitive Metcom? It, it's interesting with this group, especially with the individualized programming, they, all their programs looked very, very different back in November, December, January, like as we worked through the open. Once we got through the open, then we started to kind of synergize things and, and put things together because I wanted them to have that, that experience every day in the gym, Metcon wise, conditioning wise. Cause like we were talking about before, there's no way to recreate that, that atmosphere. Mm -hmm. And then as we worked through like two semifinal training, it was very similar. Like they're doing a lot of the same things. They're lifting together. They're, just to be able to level up and create that energy and that environment. And now that we're going through games training, these last couple of weeks, obviously, they, you know, Bethany, Danielle, and Carrie, like they're doing a lot of things together. But they all have different strength and strength and weaknesses. I think as a coach, being able to identify that and then create a program based around like, especially in CrossFit, hammering your weaknesses so that when there's a competition, like it's every goal of an athlete to have a competition where you look at the programming and you're like, okay, I'm cool. Like I'm going to strategize. And, and where you don't get to the point where you look at the programming, you're like, oh shit, that just came up. Like, oh my God, you know, and trying to create, a, a, you know, for, for lack of a better term, indestructible athletes, right. Mm -hmm. When it comes to the programming. Yeah. So the that's in their bodies. And so that's really the mindset behind it. And, and, the, and the theory behind it, uh, we believe a lot in controlled variation, right. You know, kind of breaking away from the constant variation. I think constant variation is great for the general, for the general public, but controlled variation and making sure that we are, you know, that we are addressing the needs of each individual athlete, uh, be it, a, you know, on, on, as a strength bias, as a body weight bias, as a conditioning bias, whatever they need to be able to create the most well-rounded athlete. And to where we know when we go into a competition, there's not a singular weakness that's going to keep them from getting to, you know, from reaching their maximum potential, but also from getting where they want to go goal-wise. Mm -hmm. So those are some of the main, you know, themes behind it. And yeah, it's really a lot just like being in the lab and like, you know, 
creating and thinking and understanding all the data. Like when I work with athletes, I want to know everything about everything about them, you know, um, their numbers, their, their history in, in competition, their, you know, um, how much sleep, how much, you know, what they're eating, all these different things so that we can essentially put them in the best position to succeed. Yeah, absolutely. Do you play with blood panels at all? Or do you look at whoop data to try to incorporate like the optimal nutrition program or macronutrient profile or, you know, give suggestions on sleep or sleep hygiene to enhance their recovery? Because obviously, the program's only as good as their ability to recover. And then obviously, you're striving to also prevent burnout, which is like yeah. a huge thing we're seeing a ton of in the sport of cross where people hammer, hammer, hammer. They don't take the deload. They're given into, you know, all the temptation of seeing other athletes doing things on, on social media. And then all of a sudden, you know, six, eight, 12 weeks into a program, they're like, man, I actually don't want to do this anymore. Right. Right. Yeah. So when, when I mentioned before, like I consider myself the project manager in, in a sense, what I want to do is I want to surround my athletes with the the best people possible, right? So one of the big discussions we have right off the bat, right, is, okay, what are you doing for nutrition? I want to be able to focus on the programming, the game day, the this. So, you know, Carrie's been with RP. Bethany's with RP. Danielle, we got with Mike Malloy from M2. So my, I want to make sure you have a specialist in those specific areas so that we know going into competition, I'm going to make sure that the CrossFit side of things, the programming side of things are taken care of. But then we're going to have a nutrition coach that is going to be dedicated to you on that level. We're going to have a mindset coach, you know, aside from the mindset stuff that I do, but, you know, we've, we've gotten, you know, someone to, to work with Bethany, someone to work with Danielle. Like those are things that like, I, I would consider myself uh, like I said, you know, I'm a generalist. I'm really good at a lot of things, but I, if I can bring in someone who I think is better at a specific thing, then you better believe I'm going to do that. If I think that the athlete's going to benefit and essentially what we're trying to do is just put the best team around them to be able to succeed. So being able to have somebody nutrition, have somebody, uh, mindset, you know, along with the stuff that we're creating, programming wise. And then I have an aerobic specialist, you know, those are all things that was my goal to be able to create. And those are all things that we have now put into place. That's very cool. Like attracts like for sure. As we kind of wrap things up, how do you kind of manage the business of fitness, right? Because you mentioned bringing in a mindset specialist, an aerobic specialist, a probably body workers or acupuncturist, yes. nutrition specialist. And then obviously you're you're talking to Cooper Mash, you're talking to, you know, some of these athletes have agents or they have yeah. clothing sponsors or different sponsors that they have obligations, they have contracts. You know, you may want them to wear an underdog shirt, but then they're supposed to wear a born primitive shirt. Yeah. Like, you know, <laughs> Noble's in the mix. Now, now yeah. Innovate's in the mix. Like this yeah. is something that I've seen a ton of where it's, you know, it becomes challenging because you're trying to run and operate a business. You're giving, 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 but at some point you have to have a conversation of like, Hey, I need to be compensated. I need to put food on the table. And, you know, how do you kind of balance the business of fitness when there's so many moving parts that are juggling? We see this all the time. And sometimes it, it ruins relationships. You know, I, I would credit my wife immensely for that because she's, she always reminds me like, Justin, you can't do this stuff for free. You know, like you have to, mm -hmm. you have to ultimately be compensated. And so, you know, I feel like I've worked out a very good situation with the majority of my athletes, like we, we, we talk prior to and make sure that, you know, whatever we figure out is fair for both of us. And I understand they have specific obligations. Like you said, I mean, there's a situation and I, you know, I won't name names, but yeah, there's a situation where, you know, promoting underdogs athletics created a problem with somebody's sponsor, you know, like, so I understand that, like, I'm not going to push that issue because I think if I always look at it from the perspective of I am doing whatever I can do to put my athletes first, that ultimately that will come back to me. You know, I, I, I have always felt that way and it always has. I've always felt like at the end of the day, it's most important to me that my athletes succeed and get the recognition. And if I do that, then I think as a byproduct, good things will come back to me. Mm -hmm. and, they, and they have been. 
And so, you know, I feel like that theory has really worked and paid off and, and I don't see any reason to change it now. I love that, man. And your ability to, you know, be patient, take your perspective, take the athlete's perspective, and then take, you know, that third's eye or that bird's eye view perspective, I think is really cool, especially, you know, business can get a little bit junky when there's agents and managers and, you know, so many different potential interests involved. So that's, that's really cool that you guys have kind of found a synergy there. You know, as you kind of lead up to games, what are things kind of looking like for you guys right now? Sorry, my four-year-old is over here getting frustrated. (laughs) Awesome. That's part of the journey. I know. Right. So I gave him a week off uh, a full week and now you know, this past week, we're getting into the thick of it. Uh, my most important thing, especially with the short turnaround from, from the West Coast Classic, I think all the athletes that, that competed at West Coast Classic are definitely at a little bit of a disadvantage. So we're being really smart with what we're giving them. And we're focusing most on making sure everyone is healthy and making sure that everybody is feeling confident in their engines and, and cause to me at the games, engines win championships. Mm-hmm. So, you know, doing the conditioning pieces and the grunt work, that's going to be the majority of the programming in the next few weeks because the strength and the skill, they've already put that work in. Yeah. So a lot of grunt work and making sure that everybody goes by feel in the sense that every day, like I want you feeling good. And if you don't feel good, we're backing off because I want you 100% healthy going into the games. Cause like we talked about earlier, if you're not 100% healthy, you're not focused on executing, you're focused on your injury. And that's not something that I want. So, mm-hmm. yeah, so that's the biggest thing. I think that's great, great wisdom, man. And you've been described as a man with lots of wisdom. I think Bethany said your spirit animal was, was the elephant. <laughs> she did. <laughs> I loved it. Thought it was great. Super cool. Lastly, man, what, what do things kind of look like for you? How do you integrate your training and your sleep and your nutrition? I know you're quite the chef and obviously a phenomenal family man, business owner and server of, of your athletes in your community. How do you fill your cup and what does your training kind of look like so that you can be performing at your best as well? So the, I'll be honest, like, since we got to Vegas, my, the majority of my, of my training week is, is rock climbing. Um, oh, cool. My daughter is an incredible athlete and uh, she is like a prodigy rock climber. So we, we go to the, to the local rock gym. That's too hot to be outside, but the local rock gym has become like a, a almost a, this kind of like safe haven or like escape haven for me to just yeah, go and shut off my phone for three, four hours. And she and I will climb. We have a little home gym in our, at our house, uh, which is amazing. We have a, a rower, a biker again. And so, you know, just a lot of conditioning and, um, and climbing. That's the biggest thing for me now, just trying to maintain. Right. And sleep is, is always a challenge with a 15 month old and a, and a, and a four-year-old, especially with the obligations that we have uh, with starting the new online program. There's a lot of stuff to do there, but we're, we're, I think we're, I think we're doing well. And I, I think I always feel like, you know, my wife is without my wife, it's, you know, nothing really, it doesn't work. You know, she's, mm-hmm. there's so many things where I'm like, listen, I have to, you know, I got to go to the gym and I got to be with the athletes this time or that time, or I've, I've got to do a podcast, right. I've got to do this. And she'll be like, okay, let's go to the park. Let's do this. Let's do that. So it enables me to be able to, you know, to do that stuff. And, you know, we're, we're doing well though. I think it's a juggling act, but I think we're, we're handling it extremely well. And, uh, you know, for the most part, man, I, we're, we're happy. And I feel like, right. Like that's the most important thing. Right. Absolutely, you know, like well, thank you so much yeah. for your time, your energy, your humility, your transparency, allowing me to pick your brain a little bit and share just a little bit of Justin Cutler with our amazing Invictus community. For our listeners and those of you watching on YouTube, if you enjoyed my conversation with Justin today, please rate, review, subscribe, and share with your friends. Justin, where can people find you? Uh, they can find me uh, on Instagram at Justin Kotler, and they can also go to uh, at Underdogs Athletics. Uh, those are the two biggies, but uh, yeah, man. Uh, thank you so much for having me. It was really a blast. I appreciate you, man. And as always, guys, stay on the hunt for who you've not yet become. Take care, Justin. I'll see you in Madison, buddy. Thanks, brother. Bye-bye.